we think of you as a patriarch of a broadcasting family, but where did it come from for you? Did you listen to baseball broadcasts growing up? Tell me a voice from your youth that may have inspired you, if that's indeed true. Well, I did. I, um, I was born and raised in Portsmouth, Virginia, which was certainly in the broadcast uh, signal of uh, the old Washington senators and, and the Baltimore Orioles. And um, as bad as uh, Washington was, and they were horrible, um, I would listen to them simply because I was interested in hearing the guys that did the games, uh, never dreaming that years later I would become friends with Chuck Thompson, who was the voice of the Baltimore Orioles and, of course, the Baltimore Colts. He made the great call on that Alan Amici touchdown against the New York Giants back in the 50s in the NFL. Um, and and it, yeah, I listened to him because it was magical for me. That was obviously a time when TV had really not exploded on the sports casting scene. And so this was our link uh, to Major League Baseball. And I would listen to those two teams. And then later on, um, I really became a big fan of a fellow by the name of Bob Prince, who was the voice of the Pittsburgh Pirates. Mm -hmm. um, he became a dear friend of mine in later years. But the guy that probably planted the seed that one day uh, – and a seed that I never realized at the time that I would one day get into this business. I was going down the radio dial, I guess in 1955 or 56 uh, and came across a broadcast of the Brooklyn Dodger game. I don't even remember who they were playing. They were playing at Ebbets field and the guy that was doing the play by play just was magical to me. Um, the guy's name was, um, Nat Albright was not Ben Scully, was mm -hmm. not any of the names that you would expect. But Nat Albright, as I found out later, was recreating games, Dodger games from a studio in Arlington, Virginia. This is the old thing where they would use the Morse code or the teletype. Yes, and they exactly. would, they would re, Ronald Reagan did it in his youth, too. That's right. Um, so it's a imagine creating a ball game. Uh, an experience from whole cloth like that when it was nothing but data. Incredible. That's exactly right. And he, it, it was magical because he had, he, you could hear the uh, vendor in the background selling beer, oh. uh, soft drinks and hot dogs. You could hear the crack of the bat. Uh, you could hear the crowd noise. And I had no idea what a recre recreation was. I had no idea what that was, that that was 12, 13 years old. And so I listened to him all the time and I was never a Dodger fan. But I was so taken by him to the point where when I went into the broadcaster's wing of the Hall of Fame in 2000, I found out that he was still alive and still living in Arlington, Virginia. And I found out where I could reach him. So I picked up the phone one day. Wow. This was before I went to Cooperstown in July of, of the summer of, of, of 2000. And I called him on the phone and I identified myself to him and he knew who I was because he was a baseball fan and, and I'd been around for a long time. So he said, what in the world are you calling me for? I said, well, I said, I gotta, I gotta tell you that I would, if I ever went to my grave, not telling you what an impact you made on my life and, and subconsciously planting this seed to one day do what you were doing, although on doing it on not nearly as tough a level as you did it night in, night out over a period of years. And so I explained it to him and uh, 
he was so taken by it that he broke down and cried on the telephone that he had such an impact on a person in my, in this case, me. And we had a nice chat and, and I think he passed away. I don't know, five or six months later, wow. but, um, it, it, he was just something he, he, and I've got a picture hanging in my baseball room of Nat Albright recreating a Brooklyn Dodger ball game. And then, um, I read in a book some years, a long time afterwards, that he had gotten permission from the O'Malley family to broadcast these Dodger games and broadcast them into the Southeast. And Walter O'Malley realized that this would be uh, a form of advertising that you could not put a price tag on if enough people listened and became Dodger fans and made the trek to Brooklyn and Ebbets Field to see the Dodgers play. Um, so that, that was, that was the way it went for me. And then later years, after I got into the broadcast business, I was working at a thousand watt radio station in Salisbury, North Carolina. And I used to listen a lot to Milo Hamilton in the Mm -hmm. early days of, uh, the Atlanta Braves, uh, when they moved to Atlanta and, and Milo was the first voice along with a fellow by the name of Larry Munson. And then of course I got to know Milo extremely well. Uh, in later years when he was with the Astros and before that with the Cubs and the White Sox, et cetera. Well, you know, it's so much beautiful stuff in there. The the gesture of you reaching out to Nat Albright is so beautiful. I'm sure that you have felt young baseball fans and young broadcasters who have reached out to you um, in your life. And in that way, it's you're part of a chain. You're part of a continuum. And there's kind yeah. of an immort- there's an immortality to the art, even as the world changes, obviously we can all connect to uh, the visual of a baseball game so much, but baseball on the radio still carries a magic that it had for you. Even if today's youth doesn't realize the magic, I contend that it's still there part of the exchange because of the uniqueness of the craft of doing play by play. Oh, I don't disagree with that at all. In fact, I think if there was, if God ever deemed there would be one sport that would be more in tune and in step with radio than any other, it would be baseball. It was then, it is now. And it, you know what? Uh, it's going to be interesting now with a, with a chaotic situation involving Valley sports and, and, and bankruptcy and, and everything going on and where baseball on television is going. You always got rock solid radio where there's nothing that interrupts that. It may change from station to station, but it's always there for fans. Uh, It provides background noise in many cases for people fooling around at home. I know before social media uh, came into existence, Joe and I used to get a lot of mail um, in September, the last season of a baseball game from shut-ins and from over-the-road truck drivers. And the company that we provided for them, uh, and and how especially from the shut-ins, who in many cases we were their link to the outside world, and and how sad and despondent they were that in three weeks or a day after tomorrow or whatever the case might be, the season would be over and they would no longer be able to look forward to turn on at night and listening uh, to a Reds game. There's a responsibility in that relationship for you, isn't there? When you know that you're a part of somebody's life in that way, you've got you've to be prepared, right? You've got to be yes. solid at your job. I wonder if that motivated some of your habits throughout the decades. I think so, especially coming to a town like Cincinnati. Um, 
it always will be a baseball town. Maybe it's getting taken a hit right now because of a guy by the name of Joe Burrow and the Cincinnati Bengals uh, <laughs> that have become a big time, a big time operator now after many years of being an also ran and thank God for them because of uh, the fact they have Joe and, and that they put a good team around him. Uh, but, you know, I remember when I came, the first thing one of the officials of the Reds said to me was there are neighborhoods in this town where you can walk down the street at night and you will never miss a pitch because everybody will have the Reds on radio. Um, probably less now because of, of, of how important television has become and virtually every game being on TV. But at the same time, there will always be an audience for radio as far as baseball is concerned. And those dear souls that turn that radio on religiously and listen to us, I don't think we ever lost sight of, for one thing, if they don't like us, we're not going to be around long to begin with. And mm -hmm. if they don't like your style, they don't like your approach, and they send enough letters or text messages today or emails or whatever the case might be to the ball club saying, get this guy off the air. We don't like him. <laughs> then sooner or later, they're going to make a change and, and satisfy those people. So I never felt that my, any my priority, number one, always was the people that turned the radio on at night.